Hey, my name is Julie Leone and this podcast is called What's Your Thing? This is where I have conversations with people about their passions, ideas, pastimes, missions or lifestyle that I find inspiring. I hope you do too. everybody it's Julie here again with another episode of What's Your Thing and today I'm super excited because we're talking to Jane Wilkinson and so hi Jane. Hi, thank you. So just the way that I know Jane this, and this is going to be a bit of a different podcast so there are, because we are going to I've got a few questions for Jane at the end and that's because Jane I know Jane because she's a menopause specialist and I am a woman in that category and um, I have fantastic GPs. I've been very, very lucky with my GPs, but I wanted a little bit of more um, kind of one-to-one -one help. So I went to Jane. So that's how I know Jane, and we've probably met a couple of times. Mm -hmm. um, but Jane, would you say the menopause is your thing? I definitely would, yes. Um, <laughs> I am very passionate about helping women, supporting women, providing education, obviously, um, advice and um, raising awareness really, you know, of the menopause. Um, I've, got, I've got lots of things, I suppose, but that's my main one. Yeah, and just because you're a GP, aren't you? So just, will you just kind of tell us a bit about where you are now and the, because there's actually a bit of a menopause world, isn't there, I discovered when I Googled you. So how did you, get, what's the world and how did you get there? Well, yes. Yeah. So basically, I have always wanted to be a GP. You know, I was the kid in school, probably age six, you know, writing in news, you know, I'm going to be a doctor. We have no doctors in my family. I wasn't taken to the doctor a lot, but, you know, I don't know. I kind of maybe it was one of those meant to be's, you know. So anyway, I, I always kind of imagined that doctor thing to be like family medicine. You know, that was, you know, the vision. And I absolutely love being a GP, you know, it's challenging and especially, obviously, you know, currently, um, but it's kind of where I saw myself. And I think that comes from a love of people um, and those, you know, interactions, those one on one interactions and 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 seeing people as they fit into the family, you know. But if you talk to any GP who's female, you'll definitely kind of um, get the sense that obviously, you know, we, we, we see a lot of women, you know, we see a lot of men too, and we see a, such a diverse population, but, but, you know, if the receptionists are there and, and it's a problem, you know, somebody wants some help with something that's to do with kind of reproductive health, for example, then, you know, you, you might well get, you know, lots of people coming to see you. So really my kind of, I would say it started off really with, um women's reproductive health in general so I've always been into contraception and what we used to call family planning clinics back in the day my goodness um that kind of great now when we when yeah. we think about it like that doesn't it but yeah I used to be there and when my kids were little my husband had come in from work when I was part-time as a GP and I'd go off to the family planning clinic as it was you know um and loved it absolutely loved it um, when I became a partner in the practice you know we set up our own we called it a shack a sexual health <laughs> and contraception clinic <laughs> we thought carefully about that title <laughs> um, and and it was so popular and it was you know 
I think whether it is being a woman, but just, you know, you have such rapport with women and they seem so grateful, you know, to, that you were wanted to offer this kind of a service. And I'd be thinking, why are you so grateful? You know, this is what we should be doing, you know. Anyway, as part of all that, I would attend conferences um, to keep up my skills, obviously, you know. Anyway, I heard on one particular occasion, this speaker who's a GP, down in Cornwall with a special interest in menopause. And she was so um, enthusiastic, knowledgeable. Um, I hadn't really, you know, reached the age where it was relevant to me personally then. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, everybody, is, it's coming to the fore. There's an awareness, like you say, but as doctors, really, we do not have much training on menopause you know and really attending this conference was the first time that kind of really hit me you know oh my goodness I need to be doing more for my patients in this area you know I need to upskill so anyway she talked about this special skills course you know and certificate you could do and I went to talk to her you know I was one of those queuing up to talk to her at the end of the lecture you know and um, and she kind of made it sound like really possible, really achievable, that even though my kids were little and I was juggling all sorts of things that I could do this thing, which was do this extra training. And, it, you know, it took me longer than it should have done kind of thing. You know, we had various life events happen at the time. And I would say it took me years, you know, to kind of complete mm. these things. But but I did the basic and then I went on to do the advanced, which then meant I could be uh, a menopause specialist. Um, so that was really, you know, you know, those conferences where you come out and you want to shout it from the rooftops yeah. and you can't wait to get back to your place of work to tell everybody to implement it you know and and that was it and that's how I ended up doing menopause stuff oh and the, I love that story of that kind of you really have known all the way and even kind of you've really followed your path of the thing I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to do this but I'm, I'm kind of curious about when you got back from that conference full of fire and light and then mm -hmm. you tried to talk to your partners and your you know your community about it how was that mm -hmm. greeted um I think I think with 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 lots of things, you know, you know, women's health tends to be lower down the list. And like with the things I do now, I'm I'm, I'm a GP kind of three days in the week and then one day in the week, I'm GP champion for sexual health on Wirral. And when you're kind of with your tribe, they get it. They go, oh, my goodness, yes, I was reading something the other day or I saw this or I heard this and you get excited together and you and you just want to, you know, change the world, you know. Yeah. And then sometimes when you're talking to people for whom it's not their thing, you are having to kind of approach it a bit more gradually and and you know oh you know what do you think about this and do you think it'd be possible if in this practice we did x y and z you know um and I would say in the place I was working at the time you know it was more of an approach like that I was still wow but there's a bit more of um you know that there's a bit more discussion needed obviously you know but I would say people were receptive you know um I don't even think it's it's not a gender thing absolutely not you know 
Um, I think sometimes it's about what experiences that person you're talking to. So if they've got, you know, a partner or a family member or a friend who's had an experience that's kind of affected them in some way, they're perhaps more open aren't they you know or they've had a, if in the medical sense you know they've had patients and they think oh my goodness yes I think that's probably something actually I think a lot of doctors are quite fearful about HRT or, or were hopefully that's getting better but I think we've still got a long way to go yeah. of and course menopause that- is not just about HRT you know it's about many many more things and that but I think there's a lot of fear and certainly when I was starting with this journey I'd say it was would, would it be 10 years or more ago you know there's such a lack of knowledge and there's this huge gap you know so um oh there's so that's much kind of you know, yeah that's yeah yeah there's a fear in my mind first of all my my mum I think once had a three-minute conversation with me about how she tried HRT didn't like it and took evening primrose but we mm. never spoke about it and when I speak to my kind of girlfriends who are similar mm-hmm. sort of ages to me again mm-hmm. that generation the kind of generation ahead of us just didn't really talk about the menopause I mean what was your was that the same I had thing? I had no awareness of yeah. of it at all I mean literally when you go to med school you learn about the physiology you know and hot flushes and sweats have mentioned and obviously the physiology of why it happens is taught But, you know, absolute news to me, along with every other woman I've really spoken to about the long list of possible symptoms, you know, in the family, I would say nothing at all. My mum never discussed her own, you know, reproductive health with me, even though we have a close relationship and we talked loads, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that the relationship wasn't there. It's just that it wasn't, you know, the thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, there was the big scare, wasn't there? The HRT. Yeah. Scare. So where, where, where's the thinking? Well, first of all, maybe let's just recap on what that scare was, and then, you know, what yeah. we're thinking now about it. So when I remember, so when I was first a GP, so I started being a partner in a practice in the summer of '99. Okay. And at that time, we had a brilliant, um, she'd kind of been a partner in the practice and she was kind of like semi-retired, so she'd gone part-time. And I noticed, like, after after not being in the practice for very long at all, that this great GP was, like, giving HRT to loads of women, okay? And I would see them, and I say giving, and it probably felt like that at the time, I don't know, but they would come back to see me for review and they were great and they felt really well. They, they're largely my sense at that time was it was being prescribed because women were having problem periods. They'd had no problems for years. And then, you know, the periods were heavy, more painful um, and had, you know, completely shifted, you know, like I'm saying their early 40s or whatever. And, and you know, it's kind of like, and it goes back to our teaching, you know, that it was news to me that, okay, HRT, yeah, we should be more proactive in prescribing that was the message I was getting from this very experienced GP. And I was seeing the women and they loved it. Anyway, overnight in 2002, the WHI study was published um, kind of rocked the world of menopause care and 
you know, we had um, directives, you know, we had sheets um, of information that were supplied to us. And I remember sitting down with women. And, and prior to this, I should say that I was saying to women things like, you know, um, we, our estrogens protect us in terms of our cardiovascular disease, I would say, you know, and when we go through the change, we catch up with the men in terms of cardiovascular risk, okay? So that was kind of my understanding and how I would share it with women. We knew always that combined HRT and would counsel women that it was associated with a slightly increased risk of breast cancer. And women were always informed of that and were able to make a decision therefore that was right for them, should they start it or not. And then the WHI study was released and um, overnight, women were coming in to talk to us, fearful. Other doctors in my practice were saying to them, you've, you've got to come off it, you know, um, it's, it's going to give you breast cancer, you know. And the thing that was different about the WHI in terms of what was understanding then was that it, there, was a, there was a feeling that it may actually cause heart attacks and strokes. So I, even then, you know, I'm, and it's because of the good teaching that we did have in medical school about communication and, and in GP training, you know, um, it's very much the focus. So I would sit down with women and I would say, look, you know, we need to consider what's right for you here. This is what I've been presented. This is what this evidence has shown us in terms of risks. And we would go through it. And I would then say, okay, you know, what would you like to do, you know? And, and women then would decide, you know, they'd either stay on it and say, well, I feel well and, you know, there's no particular risk in my family. I'm happy to accept those risks because I feel so good. And, you know, um, and other women would be fearful and, and would stop, you know. Mm. Um, and what's, what's emerged in the years since then is that the, the interpretation of the data, lots of great stuff came out of that study but the the interpretation of some of that data was flawed and even people you know we had a speaker at the British Menopause Society at one of our annual conferences probably a couple of years ago now who had been part of like the wider group of that research team and even he was giving all sorts of background information there was politics involved you know in terms of how that information was shared with the public and um you know the the end points that were being shared were not necessarily the designed end points of the trial so it was flawed the women were being given a particular type of estrogen that we very very rarely use nowadays you know um and also a different type of progestogen. The women who were starting HRT were average age 63 years, so much older women. And um, of course, that's, that's not how we're using HRT. These aren't the products we're prescribing. Our average age of women in starting it is very different. So um, many, many papers have, have looked into that since. And there's been other studies which have been much more reassuring. And we now know, of course, that it, it wasn't true. And actually what I used to say to women before was, was right, you know? I didn't come up with that. Obviously I had got that teaching from somewhere. So actually HRT, if given within um, 
10 years of the menopause or under the age of 60, we now know is beneficial for your cardiovascular system. Um, and the, the breast cancer stuff, you know, well, we could talk all day about that, I suppose. But yes, you know, combined HRT does carry with it an associated increased risk of breast cancer. But, you know, the main message of all of this is HRT is not poison. There are lots and lots of good things. You know, it's absolutely fantastic for bones, great for heart, you know. Um, symptom control, that is the main reason why women... I think for me, the reason I reached out to you was I, um, I you know, I'm quite a gypsy during the school holidays and I, you know, we do quite a lot of road trips, me and the kids. And there's this one particular road trip that we're used to doing down the M5, stopping off and seeing lots of friends. I'd done it loads and loads of times, but I remember sitting on a planet this one Easter and it was beyond me. It was completely overwhelming and beyond me. And I just thought, I can't have this, you know, like it would be different. And I think also being an older parent um, and again, speaking to friends, you know, we're all having our kids later. So I suppose if we biologically had our children when we were very young, then by the time we hit the menopause, the kids would have left home. But actually, lots of us are still in the, the process of parenting and working. And the yeah, absolutely. In sandwich generation, aren't we termed, you know? Yeah. I mean, does the yeah. HRP... I think you're right. I mean, I'm cognitive. continually amazed... Um, yeah, we're, are you there? Sorry, yeah. Oh, hi. Yeah, I lost you. We, we, we should have said, uh, listeners, that we've got a little bit of a flickery Wi-Fi connection, so hopefully not too bad. But you know, I was just saying, does, does HRT um, protect cognitively as well? It seems to have done for me. Yeah. So I think what I think that the side certainly in terms of dementia prevention, HRT stories is not fully understood. Right. So that some studies would show that there may be some benefit. Some studies have shown that it kind of may be actually if women have had HRT later in life, other studies have shown that it might actually be worse. OK, and I think it's like with everything, you know, it's a, it's a very complex condition, dementia. And, and the other thing, you know, going right back to your very first question of what's your thing, what the reason I called my, um, well, it, it started off being a clinic menopause well-being. Mm -hmm. and, and now I, I you know, I'm, I'm more, I have kind of moved into um, training and education and supporting healthcare practitioners, but also women, we, we, we are doing events for women and, you know, we're going into workplaces to support, um, you know, kind of the setting up of peer support groups and that. Um, but, you know, it's about well-being. So the lifestyle element, you know, nothing is just about one thing, you know, life is much more complex than that, isn't it? You know, and so I called our kind of company menopause well-being because um you know it, it's complex and we can't just even however effective hrt and, and as a doctor it's probably the most effective treatment i'll ever prescribe you know um honestly because we are just literally replacing what the body is no longer making so of course it it, it works you know for the majority of women who try it, there's always an exception to the rule, isn't there? But the thing is, I call the clinic that because I strongly believe that it's an opportunity to reflect on the other aspects of life 
the things, you know, and that's what the British Menopause Society and the International Menopause Society are encouraging us to do as women and as clinicians to kind of try and optimize our post-reproductive life so that we're not just living longer, but we're living fitter for longer, you know? And so going back to the, the idea about the brain and, and how that is in brain fog, you know, hormonal fluctuations will cause brain fog in women. You know, we know this probably around puberty, we know it's around um, pregnancy, you know, how many women say they've, they've got, have got baby brain? Exactly, yeah. yeah. I and didn't it happened in um, adolescence either. I think I hadn't ever, I mean, I've got sons, so I, but I didn't realise that during puberty we have brain fog too. Well, if you look at, so Lisa Moscone is an American, um, she's, is she a neuroscientist, but she's a physician. So um, I've heard her speak and, and, and she has books available. Um, I, I don't know her personally, obviously, but she um, is doing some research and she's very much um, calling for much more research to be done. Um, she makes the point, and it's and it's a point well made that many many studies are not um, taking fully into account women. You know, um, there are lots of groups of women that are excluded. So if you're pregnant, you don't tend to be included in studies. You know, um, if you uh, and just maybe I don't know whether that's I don't really know why maybe it's because a lot of um, traditionally and I'm, I'm hopefully talking historically you know that that a lot of men were designing the studies and maybe didn't think about it from the other perspective but anyway um, she is trying to raise awareness of the fact that we need much more research in terms of women and brains and hormones and the impact mm. you know and, and that's absolutely the case because we don't know enough about it we certainly would not prescribe hrt for the prevention of dementia you know but because during the menopause we know that these fluctuations in hormones because in the perimenopause which is maybe we should say that so the menopause is when you hit that when you've had 12 consecutive months without periods for those women who are having periods, of course, or who haven't got a, an intrauterine system in place and, and don't know what's happening with the periods, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What so, do you do if you've got a coil? You know? Yes, yeah, so if you've got a hormone-containing coil, we basically listen to the story about all the other symptoms, you know? If you're 45 and over, a blood test is totally unnecessary because your hormones are literally doing a roller coaster you know um i don't know whether you remember going back to biology at school the lovely curves if you think about what our female hormones should be doing in a yeah, nice yeah, cyclical yeah. pattern you know um well in the perimenopause which is the phase from when you start getting symptoms right the way up to when you've achieved your menopause you know and um you say so you're through that transition in that perimenopause your hormones are literally all over the place you know they are up and down and you know they could change rapidly within a, a few hours you know yeah so blood tests become you know very erroneous you know they're not reliable so we do do blood tests in women who have a hormone containing contraceptive um coil you know i guess we, we try not use the word because sometimes it makes people pull yeah. a funny face you know yeah, yeah. Um, so 
in the contraception world, we try and talk about an IUS, you know, I know we're not necessarily taking our uh, population with us, you know, so we all know what we mean if we say a coil, but still, um, yeah, so basically, you know, we would listen to the story, you know, we would listen to all the other range of symptoms, we would ask them to do a symptom score and, and see, and, and, you know, in the vast majority of occasions, you know, that's, that, that's, pretty obvious to be honest you know once you stop and think it may not be obvious to the woman herself and and it's really weird however many courses I've been on or books or papers I've read when it started happening to me you know I thought I was I literally remember thinking is this dementia like grandma had <laughs> no honestly um what's going on with me? Am I super stressed? And obviously the flushes and sweats and everything came in and I thought, ah, Jane, maybe this is, this is your favourite topic that's happening to you, you know? Yeah. Um, is it worth at some point, because I just, let's come back to some of those symptoms on the tech list, because yes. I think that would be okay. helpful, because I think that's one of the confusing things at the start, isn't it? Is you just don't know yeah. what's going, going on. But you would just finish off saying what the difference between the perimenopause and the menopause yeah so the perimenopause is that phase um as i say the, the kind of when you start having some kind of onset of symptoms right through until you achieve that kind of 12 months after your last last period or you know let's assume for now that we know about the periods um and so on average i mean i think certainly women kind of like my mum or certainly my grandma would have thought oh well it's something that happens it's a moment in time your periods just stop that's it i think some women still believe that now and this is kind of why we're trying to have conversations like this isn't it because mm. we want to you know empower women to kind of understand what's happening in the body so when i tell you that the average duration of that perimenopause is thought to be 7.4 years wow and that's, that's a long time to be feeling I, I know for me there were places where i, I remember sobbing once like you know hysterically just saying i don't know who i am anymore mm. it was so disorientating I, I really empathise with that. I, 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 every woman's journey is unique to her and there is no, it's the same as, never. But I do talk to many, many women and I hear a lot of women say, I don't feel like me anymore. You know, I feel, I've, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I've suffered from depression in the past and it's not this you know i've always been somebody that could multitask i've you know led corporations or i've given presentations you know at the drop of a hat and it's never phased me once and yet you know i, I can't pick up the phone and ring my best friend you know mm. um and it's just I think that's what's so rewarding as well about this work, because when women feel kind of understood and listened to, um, I think time to, to do that is really important, you know, and that's why, you know, I, I had the privilege of, of, you know, meeting women like yourself, Julie, who, who came to clinic and, um, you know, invested in that process, I suppose, you know, um, to allow themselves to have that time with with somebody, you know, to kind of fully understand what's happening mm -hmm. in the bodies, you know, um, and to do something about it, you know, because I think as women, we put up with a lot, we don't prioritize self. 
Um, we look after everybody else usually. We were talking about the sandwich generation. We, we prioritize our children, our partners, our friends, our parents, our aunties and uncles. We don't allow ourselves. And, and I think if there's one thing I've learned personally with all this, you know, study and, and life experiences is that, you know, we, we've all got to do that. Um, if we're going to look after others, we've, yeah. we've absolutely got to put the oxygen mask on ourselves first, yeah. haven't we, you know? Um, I, I feel very, you know, obviously I paid to see you and, and there was that, there's always that internal, oh, but, you know, I could spend that money on the kids or, you know, um, save it. But actually it, it really was that, that sense of, you know what, I'm not functioning and I'm still a parent and I'm still working and, and it's, it's, it doesn't work without me working. And so, mm -hmm. okay, you know, and also something about that time, you know, I know we had a whole, I think it was, you know, an hour. Oh my God. <laughs> I know, uh, I mean, the thing is, and that hour, you know, goes so fast and, and often isn't enough. And often I'd be there an hour and a half. I mean, you know, right at the beginning, probably before I got better with my time management, I'd been two hours, you know, and, because the thing is sometimes you know going back to that thing about not prioritizing ourselves you know it made my heart you know bleed sometimes how much women have put up with mm. before making that decision to come you know and I think the thing is I, I, a message that I'd love to get out there is look it is not failure to seek help you are not weak to seek help actually you are taking a really positive decision on your own health and I'm talking about in general practice here as well by the way I'm not talking about you know paying for a service kind of thing I, you know the, the vision would be that no woman has to pay for this care that's got to be the vision you know yeah. and and that sits frankly much better with me and and possibly one of the reasons that I have now ventured more, I think partly why I'm now moving to more, um, you know, training and education is because realizing that whilst I absolutely loved doing the clinic, I can only see one person at one time, you know, and even. And if I if I engage with colleagues that are similarly passionate about this field they can only see one woman at a time as well and you know this is happening to all of us you know not necessarily in the same way and many women will tell me that they sail through their menopause my comment back to that would be you know I'm absolutely delighted for you you know that that's your experience but what I will see if I see you in my general practice in a few years time mm. is that your estrogen deficiency will at some point give you some symptoms most probably because that's aging you know that's aging postmenopausally and you know if you're lucky enough to kind of be alive to experience that then uh you know you, you're gonna notice something so um no, yeah I, 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 I think that we we want to kind of no, that I love the fact that you're going broader because it could be when I think about the many conversations my kind of female friends that I have had, I, I feel like I'm the one that's locked out because so many of my friends have had the experience of going to doctors who've pretty much said, here's an antidepressant, get on with it, or it's you know, it happens to every woman, get on with it, and have really been very dismissed. You know, I have one female friend who Googled it all herself and pretty much. <laughs> 
uh, sorted it all out herself. And so there's, there's, there's sadly a really big need for that education amongst GPs, I think, is, is what I'm hearing from my limited sample of female friends. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think it's getting better. I think the British Menopause Society are doing fantastic work in they have, you know, regular courses there. Their theoretical courses for menopause are absolutely in demand, which is music to my ears. You know, their courses sell out. They're obviously online at the moment. You know, our annual conference this year is is online. Um, but, you know, it is becoming, you know, there is definitely a trend. We talked before, didn't we, about an increased awareness. You know, the women that have been brave enough to talk on the TV, you know, the celebrities mm. that have kind of gone and, and talked on the TV and the fact that, you know, you are, you know, people like yourself are giving a voice and an opportunity for us to discuss it, you know, are great, you know, the, the, the media companies that, said that have been able to devote time to it. And I think that's come from women, though. Mm. That's come from women that have said we need this, you know, things from the ground usually drive stuff, don't they? And I strongly believe that. I, I mean, I think the, the women themselves are the inspiration. Um, but it's it's increasing awareness. And I think because women are going to their GPs and saying, oh, you know, I read this, I heard this, yeah. please can you help me? I'm not saying it's perfect. I mean, we are far from that. And if um, any listeners are, are feel able to, there is a, if you kind of do hashtag make menopause matter, um, it's a Twitter campaign by Diane Danzebrink. Um, it's not Twitter, it's like a, it's an online um, campaign that you can sign. And basically she has already via that campaign achieved um, the inclusion of menopause in the schools, um, sexual and reproductive health education program which became mandatory in September yeah. last year, although uh, implementation of it has been, uh, I imagine, slightly delayed with the pandemic. Um, but Diane's campaign, and there have been key MPs that have been um, you know, involved with that. It's not just Diane on her own, I'm sure she would say. Um, anyway, the three elements of the campaign are that one, that, that young people, not just girls, but young people in schools will have education about menopause. I think that's amazing, so important. They learn about puberty and, and, you know, hopefully something about sex, but they don't or weren't learning anything significant about menopause. So that's great. And that's happened. The other two strands of the campaign are that if you're going to be a primary care clinician, so a GP, it would be mandatory to have menopause training. And the third bit is that in organisations, um, you know, in workplaces, mm -hmm. a menopause policy um, will, would, should be mandatory. So that we've achieved the um, education side, but there's the other two strands. And so we're still looking for people to sign up to that Make Menopause Matter campaign. So if anybody would do, do that, I'd be delighted. Diana, I, I like what you is because you're talking as an educator and a GP but also you kind of there's an activist there isn't there and I you know we're, I obviously we're not putting the video on but you're very gentle and very kind of warm and very smiley but actually there's a steely activist in there isn't there tell me about were you always like that well do you know I think 
it's really interesting you know in reflecting on kind of you know our chat today I was thinking well what what does make me tick you know and when you said what's your thing I mean obviously I'm really passionate I'm really passionate about women's health I'm really passionate about kind of like fit for pregnancy and you know us enabling women to access the care that they need so that they can plan their pregnancies you know when they feel that's right for them that's another big thing I'm into um but you know I think as you get a bit older I don't know whether we get we we get more reflective all our life experiences you know make us um I don't, I'm, I'm still the same person but I guess I'm perhaps a bit more assertive than I was as a youngster you know I think I've always been interested I mean you know in Freshers Week I joined the Conservation Society you know probably lasted one trip do you know what I mean but um, I wish I'd had more awareness of, you know, the environmental stuff then, you know, and that's that's something that obviously I, I, I think most of us have an awareness of now and feel quite passionate about. And, and the activism around that is something, you know, I don't have a lot of time to invest in that, but I try and do what I can in in my community, you know, and and and, you know, I mean, I'm not political as such, but I think um, I think that I think maybe listening to other women's stories as well has helped me to understand that if we do feel that we have an opportunity to voice our concerns, that we should probably use that opportunity because not everybody's got it. And, you know, if, if you've got a few followers on Twitter or if you go and do presentations to people, then maybe without getting political or, or mm. you know, touching on issues that not everybody's going to agree with you about, you know, um, perhaps we should, you know, it's our responsibility. There's like a responsibility there, isn't there, to, to perhaps be a bit more active um, and, and try and influence, you know, so yeah yeah no I, I love I love that when you're talking um I am actually slowly falling in love with you Dave because I just want so, so much music I mean I fell in love with you when we met because you made me feel so much better but it is the you know this message about women reaching out and getting the help and so if you know if someone's listening to this who isn't has got a, a VP at the moment who hasn't come on you know from the training who's maybe not that sympathetic mm. who, what are some of the signs and symptoms that you were talking about before that that would indicate that you know you're probably starting the perimenopause yeah we finally got around to doing it I'm sorry we, we, we're getting no, on so not. well that we're drifting around yeah so basically 80% of women will get flushes and sweats okay that means that one in five women won't okay but everybody when you talk to women they know about flushes and sweats and they know about changes to periods so periods can go from kind of being regular as clockwork as we say to you know oh I've not had a bleed for three months or actually I've only gone you know two weeks in between my period this time what a woman shouldn't be experiencing you know, as a normal part of menopause is kind of dribs and drabs of bleeding through the month. She should go and seek attention about that because that's not normal. Or if she's bleeding after sex, she should seek attention for that, you know? But your periods can change, but there should be discrete episodes of bleeding, but the pattern or the intensity may change. Some women will experience lighter and some will find that their periods are heavier, okay? So they're kind of like the obvious things that women know about. But we've talked about brain fog. I think that is becoming more 
um you know we're talking about that a bit more but literally you know I can't remember anybody's name you know I I can't remember anything I've walked from one room to the next it's literally a few seconds I can't remember what I went in for I think that is not unique to women I see that at home you know as well you know with other genders let's say you know but um but it gets a lot worse more quickly. And so I think whilst we said before that this transition is over a long period of time, sometimes, and I get women tell me that, you know, it hit me like a bus, you know? So there seems to be, and that's probably because of these hormonal fluctuations. So stuff around memory, concentration. So women at work tell me, you know, I just can't concentrate. I can't finish a task, you know? Um, tiredness and just a lethargy is really common and I would say I definitely definitely had that and and I think obviously your own experiences do uh, inform your discussions with other people but you know I knew about it before but then you feel it you think oh my goodness I know what you mean you're literally driving home from like a, a half day at work it's two o'clock in the afternoon and you think I'm going to need to go to bed. You know, this is not you. It's a different kind of tiredness than just, oh, I feel a bit tired today. You know, we, tiredness is normal, but but it's a different kind of tiredness. So you might feel fatigue. You might get aches and pains. I think that's one that sometimes we need to encourage women. You know, I've definitely had consultations. I'll tell you about one lady I saw ages ago. And she basically said, oh, doctor, I've got two problems. Is it, is it all right? You know, because we've got this thing, haven't we? You can only have one problem. And I go, yeah, OK, you know, why don't you tell me now what these things are? And then but I can work out my timings, you know. Yeah, yeah. So she said, well, you know, I woke up one day and I just have aches and pains all over. All my joints are hurting. You know, I, I really would like some pain relief for that. OK, I said, OK, well, what, what's the other problem? We'll come back to that. She said, I haven't had a period for four months. OK. And I said, to, I said, you know what? I said, it, I'm, I'm going to tell you here. I said, I actually think that's one problem. Well, I then spent the rest of the probably more like 15 to 20 minutes knowing me um, saying, you know, explaining to her what that was all about. But we as the estrogen levels drop, we lose you know, we have estrogen receptors top to toe and basically they're around your cartilage as well, around your joints. So they get achy. And I just couldn't persuade that woman in that consultation that it was actually about a menopause. She wanted cocodamol and, you know, to take pain relief. But I sent her away with information about menopause to go and look up, you know. Um, so, yeah, so you can feel achy and tired. You know, one thing that doesn't get discussed a lot, obviously, is about vaginal dryness, changes to bladder, because you can all of a sudden, oh, my goodness, I've got a nip to the loo and it's got to be now, because if I don't rush now, I'm, I'm going to have an accident here. You know, obviously, we, we rule out infection, but it can just be this irritable nature of the bladder as the bladder is um, having an impact from a reduced estrogen um, circulation as well obviously sexual problems can come to the fore if you're dry uh, if your vagina is very dry then sex can be painful yeah. um, apart from anything else if you've not slept which is the other thing you know sleep disturbance is massive if you don't sleep and, and we understand so much more don't we about circadian rhythms now um, if you don't sleep then it's very unlikely your day is going to go too well isn't it following that you know I think mm -hmm. we've all experienced that so poor sleep but imagine that over a long period of time you, know, if you don't sleep for a night that's not 
exactly you know so I mean not everybody is going to get every you know symptom on the list but it's a such a range so there's psychological symptoms as well I remember having feelings of doom where I just for no apparent reason I thought that you know just and my rational brain was kind of I could hear it saying that's highly unlikely but I just had a sense of dread that everything everyone I loved was going to (laughs) die you know it was just horrible and absolutely and you can understand them can't you if if you've never felt like that way before in your life at all and you you just kind of think I mean I I don't like this thing but I've had women say to me you know it's going back to the blood test as well actually a woman said to me you know that oh my doctor arranged bloods and uh, you know then I found the receptionist the reception told me oh your bloods are normal and she said I came away from that phone call and she, she must have been taking the call in work and she said well it's me then I must be going mad yeah. you know and it's absolutely you know not that you know um but yeah I, I mean psychological symptoms I would say of all the things that women kind of present we, we kind of say you know when people attend for something we say oh they present I would say the psychological symptoms are really high up there and anxiety being probably the highest of the lot you know because anxiety kind of dominates your whole living doesn't it it affects your breathing it affects your eating it affects your sleeping it just is awful and um low mood obviously really really black you know I think if you've ever suffered from a hormonal black mood it kind of feels different and more kind of all-encompassing than anything else you've ever felt you know and it's quite hard to describe um to others who haven't experienced that I think but um it's it's really um really really challenging for women that are going through that you know and it all links in so obviously libido going back to sexing but it links with mental health as well because you know if you're not functioning really in life on any kind of level then you know sex is going to be one of the first things to go you know and and then obviously it can lead to problems with relationships and you know we're not necessarily communicating that well with our partners are we because we're feeling a bit irritable which is another one on the list you know so it starts to change doesn't it your sense of being a woman and what that means you know what why is it that our absolutely our but you know because i um you know why does our skin tone and our hair change in a way that does seem very different from men is that is that the estrogen as well so what what so a few things there so one uh, we we tend to under the influence of reduced estrogens our body fat distribution changes through the menopause so whereas as women you know like going back to teaching puberty in schools you know you'd always kind of have or hopefully parents have done it before before schools but you know when you saw in the in the female form you know underneath the tummy button there you would see like a little fat pad so generally as women we should probably kind of have a little bit of a fat deposition there you know kind of below the waist but what happens as we go through the menopause is that fat deposition changes so it's more around the waist which is a more male pattern so sometimes it's not necessarily that the weight has increased but the pattern of fat so people women have come and said I can't get my trousers on or I feel chunky here and I've never felt like that before sometimes it is weight gain but you know we've just been talking about all those different mm-hmm. symptoms you know we understand now as well that if you're not 
sleeping you know there's lots of evidence isn't there around our food choices the next day if we've slept poorly there's also all this stuff around your gut health and your um you know cortisol levels and the impact on your whole um we call it homeostasis you know your stability you know the, the human body is an absolutely incredible thing. And, and one small change in one area of the body will have a knock-on effect. So imagine through this menopause, you know, how many systems with these chemicals sending messages to each other, you know, that's all awry, you know. Not surprising then that, you know, we may gain some weight when all this is going through turmoil you know so um the other thing that happens through the menopause is we lose lean muscle mass and we know that muscle helps us to burn fat you know um so th there are many many kind of physiological reasons for it um hrt you know obviously leaflet for any hormone replacement therapy you would see that weight gain was on there but actually that that just appears there because uh, you know women at some point have said oh I've had HRT and I've gained weight and it doesn't really take account of the fact that there's lots of other factors so many women who feel better if they have their hormones replaced will then you know be sleeping better so they'll be more likely to exercise um, they'll be more likely to eat healthier. Um, and, and it, you know, Dr. Chatterjee, who, you know, my goodness, if I've not mentioned his name already, there's something wrong with me um, because I... I you into him, yes, his podcast. Yeah. yeah. So Dr. Dr. Rangan Chatterjee is into lifestyle medicine. He's done the initial course from the Institute of Functional Medicine that I did um, a few years ago now uh, that got me kind of started on the lifestyle medicine journey so to speak which is really valuable in thinking about menopause care obviously you know but um you said about skin well skin's quite complex actually we know that for women estrogen is is in you know, we have receptors in the skin so we do know that hormonal changes are really um important but you know men men and go through skin changes as well develop wrinkles you know we know that aging generally is part of that you know hydration elasticity decreases but probably for men it's perhaps a more gradual decline smoking is a massive factor, um in in things like you know in, in skin aging sun exposure obviously you know toxins probably um but hormones definitely, I think what happens around the menopause when we notice things quickly, because that was something we didn't say actually as well, that dry skin and sometimes that feeling of something crawling all over you. And um, it's called formication, that one, um, you know, sense that, oh, you know, what's what's this thing that's crawling all over me? And it's just, you know, your, your body um, undergoing change in the skin. But I think we, we get those changes more rapidly during the menopause. That's what's happening there. And headaches, migraines seem to be a thing as well. I didn't get headaches and migraines, but I think people yes. keep coming on there. Thank you for reminding me. So headaches is a, so headaches, basically, um, headaches generally, and whether that's all the things we've talked about already, you know, if you're not sleeping, if you're not eating. So if you're eating, kind of your comfort eating, you know, your carb loading, you know, you'll get a peak. And then as your sugar levels fall, you'll get a headache. So headache is quite complex with lots of different reasons. If you're if you're kind of had a tough day and you're having more alcohol at night to cope with everything, um, then you're going to get headaches, you know. So um, that's complicated. But 
migraine. Some women who've had migraine that started in puberty and maybe it's been settled for a while may see a recurrence of their migraine around the menopause for sure. Some women get it for the first time. Um, and that is all about, you know, remember we said about the fact that the hormones are going up and down, then that's what's triggering. And that can be not just about estrogen changes, but about the other main hormone as well, about progesterone. Uh, so and, we, and it, it, you know, we, we can prescribe HR. Yeah, sorry. Testosterone, you said, yeah. yeah. So testosterone is important as well we've not touched on that so basically after the menopause so what happens with the menopause is we basically run out of eggs okay so we run out of eggs there's um no need for those cyclical changes so our ovaries do still produce some hormones but obviously in much lower quantities and we do still make some testosterone testosterone for women you know everybody thinks about sexual health and libido which clearly it's very important for but it's also important for drive and motivation, um, muscle development and, and energy generally, you know. Some would argue it may have a role to play in sleep and in mood, you know. Um, so the vast majority of women that I see, if, you know, they manage their menopause, so um, if they decide that it's right for them to go on hormone replacement therapy, then, you know, usually libido will improve um, because the, and, and many reasons, you know, if they feel better in themselves, they're sleeping better, they're functioning, mm. they feel great again, they feel themselves again, the psychological symptoms have lessened, then sex becomes a natural, you know, part of life again, and, and they re-engage with the partners. And it's all very complex, isn't it? Lots of facts involved. Mm. There are some women... Um, particularly women, obviously, who have had their ovaries removed. And we haven't really talked about those women that, that either are younger when they go through the menopause or they have surgery or, um, you know, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, who have a, uh, you know, kind of a, a, an unnatural, so to speak, menopause. And for those women whose ovaries aren't functioning, who don't have any testosterone coming from their ovaries after the menopause, they may well benefit from the addition of testosterone. And um, I had some great news recently that a preparation that I prescribed for those women, you know, where it's suitable, um, we, we really, this is political now because we don't have a preparation for women that's designed for women in the UK. In Australia, they are much more in tune with all this stuff, you know, um, and they have a licensed product that we can prescribe in the UK, but it's only available on a private prescription, which means women have to pay, you know. And there's, there's absolute inequity there, and that's not right, you know. Anyway, I had some great news recently that the company are going to apply for a UK license either later this year or maybe in spring next year so I really look forward to the day when as a prescriber you know my range of options for women is mm. is full so that we can tailor you know the treatment actually to what that individual woman sitting mm. in front of me needs you know and, and she can access that more yeah. easily um, but yeah testosterone is important we do still make testosterone we've got adrenal glands that sit top of our kidneys and, you know, we were talking before about the complexity and, and cortisol, we mentioned, you know, stress hormone. So if we're really under pressure and we're very, our bodies are kind of in fight or flight mode 
and we are under stress and cortisol is is mandatory you know it's essential for life and our bodies are going to be pumping that out because we need it yeah. so we are going to have less kind of capacity um to make the other hormones that even even beyond the menopause you know we can have in small amounts so that, that's again why it's got to be menopause well-being you know yeah. it's got to be the whole package that we look at Jane, I need to hear about the lifestyle things and I am aware of the time it's about when it's about 20 25 past 11 are you all right to go for a bit longer just to talk about lifestyle because yeah things that so sure. people maybe feel like they've got symptoms that they could manage or they're not sure about HRT I mean what I'm hearing really in my experience was find someone who understands and have the conversation with somebody that knows what they're talking about but it, it also sounds like there's quite a lot that we women can do for ourselves so what are the some of the, the do's and don'ts that were that can help us yeah well let just before we talk about that let me just answer the question that you posed before because i want to make sure that the women do get the help so you said what happens if your gp isn't somebody that you feel you can talk to okay so obviously there are lots of resources you've mentioned already you know we we can go to the women's health concern which is like the patient arm of the british menopause society you can go to um, menopause matters .co.uk you can put into a tool um, it's called manage my menopause it's like an interactive tool that you can use to um you know kind of put in your symptoms and see what what comes out as like personalized advice obviously it's not the same as going to see somebody but that's kind of work that you can do you know read up about it you know talk to people talk to your friends talk to people that have had their advice so you know well hang on what's my sense of what might be right for me when you go to make your appointments and please please do you know do seek help you know half of women have lots of symptoms just don't go and seek any advice whatsoever and that's in the survey you know a few years ago from the bms so talk to your receptionist okay if you didn't have a great experience and i i'm sorry that has happened to you but ask your receptionist okay who might be interested in my practice who am i who am i best going to see or having a telephone call with at the moment or a video consult you know um because maybe you just didn't get to the, the person in that practice who's, you know, and it's not their thing. I mean, I'm not saying that's acceptable, but maybe they're hot on diabetes or cardiovascular. You know, we've all got our thing, haven't we? So find the person in the practice that does. If there isn't, then you know what we, we do? It's within our gift to actually move to a different practice if we feel that strongly about it you know um but i would explore all options in your practice you know maybe it's a practice nurse that's really into this stuff and maybe she might be a prescriber and she might be able to help you so do that the other thing you could do is if you're really struggling in your practice is you could approach the patient participation group um which every practice is is has to have one and you could kind of get in touch with them and say, you know, I've really had a bad experience about menopause. I've not really getting what I want, you know, and, and please can we explore this as a practice? And, and then, you know, not only would you be helping yourself, but you'd be having impact, wouldn't you, for others that may be experiencing the same thing. I know at that point, you may not have a lot of motivation to do that because you may be feeling really rubbish and just mm. getting through the day is enough at the moment. So I appreciate that. But, you know, if you feel able to, that's one way. I mean, ultimately, you know, you can 
put a complaint to the practice manager if you feel that strongly. So, you know, you have a voice, feel you should use it, you know, um, but ultimately, you know, move practice if it if it needs that. And then you can do your research, can't you, about who might be possible for you. Um, obviously, private practice is another option, but it isn't available to everyone. But for those that can, then obviously there are options there too. Um, so the lifestyle thing, yeah, I mean, you know, HRT is not for everyone and only actually a small proportion of women who are going through the menopause will actually choose to take HRT. We've already said there are benefits. It's actually not um, the worst thing in the world to do. You know, alcohol or being overweight has a greater or just as much or obesity is has a six times higher risk of breast cancer than does taking combined HRT. Oestrogen only HRT doesn't increase your risk of breast cancer, according to the evidence that we have. Um, so, you know, think about it. But for those women that can't and even for those women that can, absolutely think about the whole picture when you're tempted and you're feeling really low and you want to grab, you know, kind of the carbs or the chocolate, you know, um, if you just have the knowledge that it might make it a lot worse, you know, and make you sleep even worse, um, then, you know, maybe that's something that might help you. I think if we understand the why, I think it's easier to implement the change, isn't it? You know, start really small. Just go for a walk around the block, you know, before your evening meal or after your evening meal. Because when hitting the gym, it just feels like way beyond that's like climbing Mount Everest to you if you feel so tired and your joints are aching all over and your feet hurt you know um just walk around the block you know start with something small we know don't we about looking out to nature look at some trees you know I have this thing my family laugh at me because I just plant my my face and I feel the sun on my face and I just stay there for a moment and they've got pictures of me they've snapped you know when I didn't know <laughs> and and now they're all doing it you know so just do that, you know, take some time out for you. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I know I, I always say to people, I do not have shares in his books or his podcast, but, you know, Dr. Chatterjee is, is great. But there's many, many people like yourself, Julie, you know, explore the different ideas and, and what might work for you. And I know some of your speakers have been, um, you know, excellent in, in, you know, making us reflect and take time out and prioritize self so that we can be there for the people that we love, you know. Mm. Mm. No, I remember you talking to me about diet and I did make sort of shifts to my diet, which I feel like have made a, a different and not, not anything radical or gimmicky or, you know, just mm. little tweaks. And I do think it, it made a difference. I'll tell you about this one lady quickly. The, um, there was one lady that I saw and she came to me in the clinic and, you know, she'd been a, a, a lady who'd had mental health problems throughout her life. And she'd been in contact with lots of services. You know, she had a specialist mental health nurse that she knew very well and was in frequent touch with. And she was great. You know, she would get out. You know, she coped with life by going out with her dogs walking. And when I talked to her about nutrition and I said, oh, you know, just I mean, as you know, if you come into the clinic, you know, we, we kind of get people to fill out, you know, lots of information. And I say, oh, you know, I've noticed here you have a lot of bananas. 
And honestly, when she was going out for work, she was pretty much living off bananas because she thought that this was a thing and it was really healthy and it's a fruit. She was honest to goodness, she was having five or six bananas every day. Now, if when I told her that in each moderately sized banana, there's five teaspoons of sugar on average, you know, in this banana. And I was like, oh, my goodness, she's having lots of sugar. And she her main issue that she came to see me about was sweats. So not only did we obviously arrange treatment, but she basically cut out the bananas because she was having a peak of sugar. And then as the sugar dropped, she was sweating. And she reduced the bananas. She reduced the caffeine. And, and I just couldn't believe that nobody had asked her about what she was eating in all the years she'd had experience in mental health services. And we know how important, you know, that gut brain connection is now, don't we? You know, so, yeah, I, I was just amazing really that you know we hadn't asked her and and you know we're all busy and time's short isn't it and mm. so using tools like questionnaires before people come and see us and you know for women themselves to like write down you know it's different now I know because we're not seeing people as much face to face we are still seeing people face to face but but when we need to do an examination mm. or you know if it's a chat then we can do that on the phone or the video you know yeah. So, but we think things were also the technology is there. So you could email something into your doctor that you're about to see and say, look, here's my scores, you know, find a score. Um, maybe that's something I'll put on my site, actually, just make that symptom score freely available, you yeah, know, yeah. and then well, you we'll could download that. that and um brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Um, to finish up, because I think we sort of answered all the questions that uh, that people wanted asked as well. And I, I'm curious about, are there any positives to the menopause? Do you think, you know, from your own experience, it, it, what are the positives? I think there's loads of positives. I think you're right to emphasise that. I think many women say to me, you know, it's absolutely great. I don't have to worry about buying sanitary towels, you know. I don't need to worry. We do need to think about contraception through the menopause, but when we're 55, we don't. That's, I suppose, another message. Many women think that they can't get pregnant, and they do, you know. So, yes, think about that. But ultimately, you know, when you're through it and beyond it and that, you won't need to think about that. If you, if you access help and... Um, uh, you know, like in terms of sexual functioning, you know, you, it's almost like if you have a positive experience of it and we can help you with that, then it feels a bit like, you know, and especially if you've been a place where you felt like you'd lost yourself, you know, you'd lost your life, that sense of grabbing that back and then, and, you know, kind of almost maybe we appreciate it a bit more because we felt like we were losing it, you know, so, so I think, you know, I think it is an opportunity for sure to um, take time for ourselves to, to do what we need to do now in order to be healthy and fitter when we're older. And, you know, I think now is the time, basically, you know, grab it as an opportunity to ensure that you you know, are there for your kids and grandkids or for your partner or for you and you can explore all these wonderful opportunities that life has to offer um, when we're older and, you know, we're more assured of ourselves. We know ourselves better, I think, at this age, hopefully. And if you don't, then then maybe, you know, spend some time, you know, to, to do that so that you get the most out of what, you know, what life has to offer, as I say, and... Um, 
enjoy them each moment really but menopause I think because it's because it's such a struggle for many not for everyone but for many I think I think when you get back you appreciate it more you know mm. and is there anything I should have asked you and haven't oh I don't know I think we've had it had a lovely chat yeah, now I think you know I think there's so many things and I, I I'll, I'll come off this call and I'll think of things that we didn't talk about. But you know, we've mentioned sex, yeah. <laughs> we've mentioned contraception, we've talked a lot about menopause, obviously. Um, and I think, you know, I suppose just, you know, with if you feel that you've got training, if anybody's listening, if they feel that, you know, that that they have a gap or they've got an opportunity that they can share this message. We talked about make menopause matter. You know, I think that's important. Um, there's a women's health strategy being consulted on at the moment. So, you know, let's try and do our best to feed into that. You know, again, talking about this is our time. There's a lot of national interest at the moment from, you know, the government and from public health England, et cetera, in, in exploring and and you know this is our time to say what we want you know because if we're well we're not getting it the way we want it at the moment otherwise as we said we wouldn't need private clinics so you know let's use our voice and 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 express ourselves i agree i agree here here and can we put some of those links i've made a note of them as we've been talking but let's put some links on on the show notes and blogs that go out and Jane, yeah. is there anything that you've heard yourself say in the conversation that actually you want to remember for yourself, that, that feels important for yourself or that you've heard yourself, you know, reflect on? I think, um, I think I'm getting better at it, but I think obviously you can imagine as a, as a busy GP, as a mum of two, you know, um, with, with kind of elderly parents or parents-in-law, you know, some of those messages that I kind of find myself, you know, sharing with others. I'm, I'm not always fully practicing. I'm definitely much better than I was, you know. Um, I think that it's a continual lesson. I definitely think I could spend more time with self-reflection. Um, as I say, you know, the, 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 the year that we've had is, obviously I've, I've, I've been working throughout and it's been a very, very strange year. Um, but, you know, I, I do love my job. I, I love those interactions with people every single day. I'll have some kind of interaction and I think, wow, that was great, you know. So I think just appreciating that is what I, you know, and I think I think I do, but I think we can always do it more. Um, but I, yeah, I think implementing my own advice is probably <laughs> what we well, what I need to do. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm better at it than I was, you know. Oh, thank you, Jane. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And I appreciate the kind of professional help you, you gave me. But it's not for me. It's not just obviously you, anyone listening to this, you can hear how much you know it's kind of oozing out of you. Um, but also it is that enthusiasm and the, the, the gentle activism, the encouraging us as women to use our voices. Uh, you know, not only for us, but for the daughters and nieces and friends and the next generations, and, mm -hmm. and maybe to try and have those conversations more openly with the women around us to uh, just, uh, kind of... That would be great, wouldn't it? You know, if anybody, if, if you've got a younger relative, I mean, it's, it's so funny, um, you know, because like, obviously I've got girls and I mean, you know, clearly they, they hear a lot about menopause and that, but you know, they, you know, kids are so adaptable, aren't they? And with so many things I... 
you know, I feel inspired every day by young people and by mm. so many things. And I think, um, you know, if we if we talk to young people more about yeah. it, then, you know, maybe that, that wouldn't that be wonderful if, you know, by the time, you know, we're 80 and our, our kids are our age now that that, you know, it, it kind of had menopause care had a different feel and it wasn't so challenging for people because that's pretty heartbreaking as a doctor, you know, when you hear what struggles women have had to get to you mm. because it's not meant to be like that. We don't want it to be like that. And, and you know, so, yeah, I, that would be a wonderful world, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Well, let's all aspire to that. Thanks, Jane. I'm okay. Gonna... Lovely to chat to you. Bye, Julie. Thanks. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Hey, it's Julie here and I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Um, I'd love to hear from you too if you've got a thing or a way of living or a passion that just lights you up and fills you with energy. So please do get in touch at julieleone.com if you fancy a conversation or if you're listening to this thinking, ah, I wish I could find a thing or a way of living that lights me up and fills me with energy, then get in touch and we can have a conversation about coaching or some of the ways that I might be able to support you in finding that. So all of that is at www.julieleone.com go to the contact page and drop me a note you can also see some of my books writing and coaching there Um, if you've enjoyed the podcast please share it with your friends like subscribe and review it just so that other people can find it and just pick up on some of those happy vibes Um, but thank you for joining me it's always a pleasure to do the podcast and hopefully you find something positive from them for listening to so take care speak soon see you on the next episode so